My name's Jo Wise, and this is Wise Women, the podcast. In my book, I Am A Woman, I quote a Native American proverb which states that the world will know a thousand years of peace when women have healed their hearts. I believe that one way for women to heal their hearts is to share their stories. Just like in ancient times, when our female ancestors would gather at the full and new moons in tune with their cycles to cleanse their experiences together. On this podcast, I'll be asking women from all walks of life to share their stories. Not only to give a voice to the wisdom they discovered during some of their greatest life challenges, but also to remind you of your deepest wisdom too. This is Wise Women. Sharing stories, sharing wisdom. Tiggy Walker, a producer of TV commercials, married the BBC Radio 2 presenter Johnny Walker in 2003. However, just a few months into their marriage, Johnny became seriously ill with cancer. As a result, Tiggy gave up everything to become Johnny's carer, a role that she says was far more challenging than being cared for by him when she went through cancer herself 10 years later. Tiggy's story, which does contain strong language in places, is called The Carer. And in it, she talks about the unique way that she documented her own illness, but also the wisdom and ultimately the tenderness she found in caring for Johnny. Hello, Jo. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. Before we get into your story, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your morning because it hasn't quite gone to plan, has it? Uh, Well, no, I was going to go to a yoga class this morning and um, it's half term and um, both my yoga teachers stopped during school holidays because they've got children and all respect to them. But it's a beautiful day. So um, I've taken the dog for a walk. I've gone to get a coffee and uh, I'm feeling quite good. Fantastic. So we're in the right frame of mind. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And the dog you mentioned there, we need to mention the, Uh. the hound. Oh, Darcy dog. Darcy is an extraordinary uh, dog. She really is. We sometimes think she's the reincarnation of Princess Diana. because <laughs> She really is the people's dog. She's a black working cocker spaniel, a particularly small one, a particularly cute one. And people just adore her. If we could have sold her, uh, you know, cloned her rather, we'd have never have needed to work again because she is so popular with absolutely everybody and everybody wants to keep her. She's quite an extraordinary animal who came into this world to spread love. Oh my goodness, I've never heard a dog be compared to Princess Diana before. That's fantastic. She's got that coquettish way of looking sometimes. <laughs> you know, the, the eyes down look fluttering up through the eyelashes. And Grey Diana had that touch with any human being. She just, she instinctively knew how to give love to somebody and, and hope. And Darcy does the same. Yeah, animals are very good at that, aren't they? We've got a lot to learn from them, I think. Really have. Um, now, Tiggy, let's get on to your story because your story is all about caring and you nursed your husband, as I've already said, the Radio 2 presenter, Johnny Walker, through cancer in 2003. And then the roles reversed when you were diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013. He then became your carer. And I know you've said, Tiggy, that for you, having cancer yourself was easier than being the carer. Why, why is that? Well, it's a very interesting question. Um, when you actually go through an illness, such as breast cancer, for me, it was 
um, you go through the process and it, of course it has its pitfalls and its struggles and, um, and I, I had moments of crisis. But in a way, I was the center of the drama and I had, um, an awful lot of support. I think one of the things when you go through an illness is you do suddenly realize how loved you are and that's a very life enhancing feeling. You know, the brothers, who have always grumbled about you, suddenly seem to care about you. And, you know, because I think sibling rivalry is a, is, a, is a big and existing thing. And suddenly they do seem to care about you. And that, to me, knowing that my brothers cared about me and didn't just sort of find me the little brat of the family, was was quite uplifting. And also you have all the support from the doctors, the nurses. Your neighbours are inordinately kind. My friends... Kate, you know, just came, gave such support, and you just went, wow, I had no idea that so many people felt like that about me. And that was quite a, a life-enhancing lesson. Now, it is quite different when you are the carer. When you are the carer for somebody who is very ill, you literally get all the shit. You get that person in their very worst state, because when somebody is ill... They tend to put on a very brave face for the nurses, the doctors, you know, whenever they're out in public. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And the person who gets all the real fear and all the real anger is the primary carer. And as in my case with Johnny, he fell ill on our honeymoon. So our marriage started with him getting cancer. So we'd never lived together. So I didn't really know the animal completely. And it was quite a challenge because there were many times in that first nine months that I wanted to leave him because I thought that the beautiful spiritual man that I'd fallen in love with was in fact a complete and utter shit because he was so angry to me. He was cruel to me. It was the most isolating lonely time of my life and yet I gave everything up producing commercials I gave up my life my career my being my soul to try and make him better but he was constantly throwing it back in my face I have since learned that that was not the true Johnny I have since learned that he is that beautiful caring kind spiritual man but when he was very very afraid of dying and he did nearly die and he was very scared and he took that out on me as I believe many very sick people do. Now I just said to the world in, in church in front of God and my family you know for better for worse in sickness and in health for richer for poorer I couldn't turn around three months later and go actually I've made a complete mistake here I couldn't tell my parents what I was going through I couldn't tell my my closest friends how awful he was being I had to just I because I think there's a you know in a way you're protecting that person you know you and and you just had to suck it up and that is why I'm so passionate about the carers movement because you really really don't want to complain about somebody who is fighting for their life it's just not what you do and I gave every ounce of my being to help Johnny get better. And it did mean that at the end, I sort of collapsed into an 18-month depression. And it took me years to recover. Well, I think they say, don't they, that when people are under pressure, that's when you see 
the shadows. That's when you see those adaptive patterns that perhaps have been in place for years. And like you say, with uh, carers, oh my goodness, are they on the receiving end of, of those patterns sometimes? And I know you and Johnny now are patrons of a very special charity, which I'm going to uh, mention later on. But before we talk more about that caring, because I've still got more questions to ask you about that, <laughs> I did want to just touch on uh, your cancer because you document your unplanned journey and i'm marking out that title on purpose unplanned journey you document it literally every step of the way don't you um absolutely one of my regrets about johnny was when he was at his absolute sickest which he he was in intensive care uh you know fighting for his life after emergency operation he got down to eight and a half stone now his fighting weight is probably 12 and a half to 13 so mm. he looked like a man who would never walk again. I, in those days, we didn't have smartphones. I tried drawing him. I did a very, very <laughs> bad drawing. But I really, really wish I'd taken a photo of him because if to show people who are going through terrible cancer or illness, to show them a photo of Johnny then and the Johnny now would be a real inspiration because, you know, you can pull back from a lot of serious illness, and most people do pull back from a lot of, of, of serious illness. And so when I got breast cancer, I had no idea what was going to happen to me. I mean, let's face it, your first reaction when you're told you've got cancer is, oh my God, I'm going to die. I mean, that is your knee-jerk reaction because it's an emotive word, cancer. It probably took me a, a day or so before I realised that possibly I wasn't going to die. But um, I thought, well... Because I regretted not taking photos of Johnny through his ordeal, I got in touch with this photographer, Bella West, and she lives in the same town as me. I, I'm aware of her, and she was aware of me, but we weren't, we didn't know each other well. And I just said, Bella, I'm just been diagnosed. I'm about to go through treatment. No idea what will happen. How about us taking a photo of my torso? once every couple of weeks to see what changes happen to my body because changes are going to happen we have no idea what i mean honestly joe i sort of rather hoped i'd lose weight like johnny <laughs> was <budget on. laughs> but anyway but bella, bella said first of all i'm so sorry to you please come and see me tomorrow for a meeting and she just said well why don't we document the whole thing of following you on your journey if you are up for that come to the hospital come to everything and she did. And originally, it was just going to be an exhibition. That's what we thought of. And then Carers UK said, why don't you turn this into a book? And I said, well, that's actually easy, because I kept a diary throughout the process just as a cathartic thing. It was just the easiest way for me to deal with it is always to write things down, because I am a writer in, by, you know, in my heart. And, um, and so that's what I did. And we just put together this collection of photos and writing. We kept my writing to a, a minimum, and I wrote way, way, way more than that. But the pictures do so much of the work. To me, the words are just there to highlight what the pictures are saying. Well, this book, I've got it in front of me this morning, Tiggy, is what's been described as unflinchingly intimate. Uh, at one point, you write about hair loss from the chemo. And you not only document Johnny shaving your head, but there's also a, a very tasteful, full-length, sat-down picture of you featuring your, again, quote-unquote, diminishing bush. Did kind of exposing yourself to that degree help your healing? I don't know if it helped the healing at all. I've never even thought about that question, Joe, and it's a very good question. 
I think it was a diversion. And Bella, who just said to me, the minute anything happens, you know, if you're sick, if anything, just phone me, just phone me. And when my, I realised my hair was falling out, it was quite a shocking moment. I think it is. It's one of those those benchmarks in chemotherapy treatment is the hair falling out. So I just phoned her immediately and she was down within half an hour uh, and just got me in the shower. And you know what? I was beyond. I'm not a vain person. Clearly, because I've not got a very good body and I'm, I've let it be completely exposed in this book. I just felt this is an, an important part of the drama and I have a sense of drama. And I thought this is this is an important part of the story and it's got to be told. So I never really thought about me in that context. I thought about, you know, I've always produced, uh, um, I've been a producer. And so you think in terms of, well, this is an important step. So, of course, it has to be done. I'm not saying it's not painful for me to look back at that book. It is painful. And I I find it very hard to open that book and look at it now. But at the time, it felt absolutely the right thing to do. And wow, it's just going to help so many people, Tiggy. But there's one thing you said that I'm not going to let you get away with, which is, you know, I don't get me wrong. I, I love my body, but I'm, um, if people are familiar with Ayurveda, I'm a Vata body type. So... I love it, but it's not curvy. It's not voluptuous. You have a fantastic body. I can't, you know, when you said that I don't have a good body, I have to disagree with you. <laughs> well, it's a bit, it's a bit thinner now than it was in that book. <laughs> I have to say, because actually the treatment did make me put on masses of weight. Uh, some other, uh, someone else on Radio 4, um, also who interviewed me at the time of that book also said, my goodness, Tiggy. <laughs> What an impressive body. But there we go. Wait, wait, this interview is not about body image. No, it's not. It's not. But that's a whole different subject matter, isn't it, for all of us women. But but thank you. Now, <laughs> I was speaking, I must mention this too, because I was speaking to a lady at the weekend who had gone several rounds with cancer, actually. Uh, she had uh, one, I won't say where it was, but she had a certain type of cancer and it went and then she was diagnosed with another cancer and then another cancer on top of that. And she told me this quote, which I loved, and I wanted to share with you and just see if uh, you connect with it in any way. And the, it takes a bit of thinking about, but the quote is, what we conceal is always more than what we dare to confide. And, you know, going back to your book, you really didn't conceal anything in this book, did you? So I'm, I'm wondering if cancer gave you that opportunity to confide things that you've never confided before. Well, I think one of the things of going through cancer is you confide things to yourself that you've never confided. Mm. Before. You you really have to face up to yourself and who you are. And I have no idea where I got the braveness to do that photography with Bella. I, a great credit has to go to her that she made me feel brave enough to do that. And it sort of got a momentum of its own. So I can I did share enormously and uh i suppose it's only in retrospect you go gosh that was quite quite brave of me it's a very interesting thing this well johnny and i've had this discussion many times this thing about when you are ill there's two ways of going about it i mean especially we talk about it in terms of being a well-known figure which he is and that is you can comp keep it completely private and and so you're left alone and you just go through it in your own gentle way without any interruptions or, or pestering from the outside world, because some people will pester, uh, well-meaning pestering though it may be, or you can go public uh, and get the 
you know, and therefore had to deal with all the attention. Uh, Terry Wogan was very dignified because he didn't let anybody know. Suddenly Terry died. And, well, well, you know, it was obvious to people who saw him that he wasn't looking too well. He, you know, he went and it was a great shock to everybody. But he'd have been left alone. You know, he hadn't been pestered. When Johnny was ill, he had to make it public because he was coming off the drive time show, possibly forever. In fact, it was only for nine months. Uh, but I cannot tell you. Uh, the box loads of cards and letters and uh, presents that used to be delivered to us. I mean, one day, his team from Radio 2 came with 10 huge boxes of posts for us to go through. Well, I mean, wow. <laughs> with the state I was in, I just thought, God, <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God, haven't I got enough to deal with? It was, it was genuinely overwhelming. But for Johnny, there was all that love in there. Mm. And he... He says his listeners helped save him, you know, and all he felt all that love that was coming from him. And it was amazing. So it's a very interesting thing, whether you share and whether you don't share. I'm not quite answering your question. I've kind of gone off track, but... No, you are. Uh, you really are. Am I? Yeah. Okay. And um, actually, I think there's a lot of dignity um, as well in appropriately sharing challenges. And indeed, that's the idea of, of this platform. But I was talking about this at the weekend as well with the, the women I was with. And we were saying, you know, that as, as women, it's so important that we share our stories because there's healing in that for others. Definitely. People realize they're not alone. Definitely. And I've had some amazing letters from women who have been through breast cancer or about to go through it who have read that book. And they have said no one else has put into words uh, what I have been through. And I show that to my family and suddenly they understand. And I suppose that's what you're trying to do with something like uh, Unplanned Journey is just maybe shed a light for those who don't know what it's like to go through. Because I think everyone is quite fascinated. Well, what is it like to go through cancer? What is chemotherapy like? It's one of those those great, great mysteries of, uh, that I would, when Johnny went through chemotherapy, I was thinking, God, this is awful. What can it be like to be him? And so I was trying as much as possible to give a clear picture. I think there's a lot of people tell you, oh, it's going to be fine. You're going to go to chemo and you'll feel a little bit, you know, queasy or sick. And, it, you know, but it, it'll be fine. But I'm actually, I went slightly mad. Um, and it was one of my brothers is a hairdresser in Australia. He's seen many of his plants go through cancer and chemotherapy. He was the only person who said to me, Tiggy, you are going to go through hell, but you will pull through it. And remember that. Everyone else went, oh, it'll just be fine. But they didn't know. And, you know, it isn't just fine. It's actually quite, at times, really challenging. You dig deep. But there we go. You dig deep and you come out the other side. That's the important thing. Well, again, you write about that in the book and you document it with photographs as well. Probably the most touching picture for me in the book, Tiggy, there's a shot of Johnny and you can see his wedding ring on his hand and he's holding your feet. And I don't know, there's just something about that picture where I, it just moves me. Ah, oh, yes. That was when I was having Herceptin. And I had to lie there for ages after the Herceptin injection in case you react. Uh, the first day, I believe it was six hours I had to sit there in case there was a reaction. Because this is all quite new. They're, the drugs are all, in, you know, improving all the time. 
and they're still doing studies on Herceptin. So, um, yes, it was very touching. It was just his way of, there were my little exposed feet, and <laughs> it was just his way of saying, I love you. I, I think it's very hard for men sometimes to be a carer. Women are very practical. We go and make soups. We, we make, well, I think we use food a lot in caring as a sign, or I do anyway, as a sign of saying, I love you. I want you to get better. This is nutritious. La la la. Johnny doesn't cook. So he showed his love and support in driving me to every single appointment. Mm-hmm. And there were just so, so many. Uh, and of hold, you know, just hold, as you say, holding my feet. He was just there with his presence telling me he loved me. Yeah, I was going to use the word presence as well. And you, that really comes across in the book that even when your hair's falling out, it's Johnny shaving your head. Yes. And we sort of learned when he learned, I think, from his own experience, the day his hair started falling out in the shower, I was down in the kitchen. He tore out of the house, really angry. And I thought, now what have I done? Um, remembering again that we had only just got married. And I was finding my feet in this marriage. It's not every day you marry a national broadcaster, and you 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 know it's it's different to being married to somebody who's who's a civilian, as it were. Um, and uh, then he came back an hour and a half later, and he was bald. And what he realised was his head was being his hair was falling out, and so he went straight to a barber's and told him to shave it off. It was his his way of dealing with it. It was a very angry, aggressive thing to do. So when he came back, I just, I just sort of screamed because suddenly he was bald. And I think he realized that had been such a shock to me. And he'd done it out of anger that he wanted it to be a much gentler sharing thing when it came to my time. Mm. And he'd already gone out and bought the clippers from, from Boots. You know, it was one of the things that he wanted to handle better with me. That is so lovely. And again, a backstory I didn't fully understand from from seeing the pictures. Um, what does Johnny say, Tiggy, about whether the hardest part for him was having cancer himself or caring for you? Does he take the same view as you, that actually it was the caring that was harder? Um, uh, no, I think he, because our cancers were very different. He His cancer was really, really life-threatening. And um, so go, for what he went through a much tougher time than I did. So actually for him going through it, it was terrible. And I, I think we cared in different ways. Johnny carried on working while I was ill. Radio 2 were absolutely fabulous because they put less pressure on him to do other interviews or JW meets or, or anything else. They were they made his workload as light as it could be. Um, but he still had a life outside my illness and I didn't my life was his illness so I think definitely he if you asked us to do it both again I would say I'd go through the cancer again and he would say he would go through being a carer to me again because it it just I'm a little bit 100% with things and I'm a bit of a perfectionist so I I really that was my life was caring for him you said something else that I'm gonna have to draw your attention to um you said a bit a bit of a perfectionist how how does that work (laughs) well it means i don't want to 
I don't want to leave any stone unturned. For example, I don't know why this one comes into mind. It was a particularly hard time when Johnny had to go and have his second bone marrow uh, test. And that, I, I mean, I never had that. It's the single most painful and awful diagnosis test that there is. And he was going into Bart's hospital and I was coming with him and he was scared about it. And I was trying to overmother him and just, you know, try and be supportive and kind. And we got out of the taxi and it, I don't know, we must have been having a spat about something because he just turned around in front of masses of people and went, just fuck off. He went, it's my fucking cancer. Just fucking leave me alone. Wow. It was pretty hard. It was pretty hard, but that was me trying to be a carer 100% of the time. And I think what I've learned from that is sometimes you've got to leave people alone. And I did. I walked off and walked for miles in a total state of shock and crushed. Well, you're so, you're so, you're being so honest now, Tiggy, but you're so honest in the book as well and in other articles I've read about the emotions that this cancer brought up for both of you. You talked about, um, in the book, marriage guidance, vile mood swings, the anger, the resentment. Do you feel the cancer brought up unresolved emotions that went beyond your relationship? That's an interesting question, and I've, I've not thought about it before. I think what it does to you when you go through something like a cancer or a serious thing, I think it does make you reassess your life. Mm -hmm. Or uh, I think you just cut to the chase about what is important in life. So um, I'd always produce TV commercials. Second thought after being diagnosed was, uh, first thought was, I'm going to die, shit. Second thought was, I will never produce a TV commercial again. Now, commercials had been my life on and off for 30 years. So there was quite a big thing to say no to. And while I miss production, you sort of go, and I miss, miss the people I work with at Blink and, and that whole buzz, and I miss earning money. Um, but um, I, had, I stopped by that because you go, well, honestly, I don't want my epitaph to be, she sold a lot of burgers. I think it really makes you face up to the fact that time is limited and if there are things you want to do and got to do, you got to get on with them. You can't stop deflecting it. So I think, um, I think, you know, that's the stuff outside the marriage that I really felt seize the day. You've got to go for it. And I think if you can get through something like an illness with a certain amount of dignity, there's probably quite a lot of other things you can do as well. Well, you might have shared your wisdom there, which I'm going to ask you just to condense again in a second, because I feel that so many women need to hear your story and connect with it in a way that they can then use powerfully for themselves. But before I do that, I must mention this fantastic charity that you and Johnny are patrons for as well, because if people are caring at the moment and struggling with caring, there are places you can go. Absolutely. Care is UK is an organization which I wish I had known about when I was caring for Johnny because I went through it unsupported and um, there were, there were, the hospital didn't ever say, and how are you doing as his carer? No one really knew about caring and how hard it was then. They didn't know that you were kind of the second victim in, in this. And so when I heard about this charity, um, through a chance meeting at a woman at a party and she said she was involved with Carers UK I went that was the charity 
that was the organization I desperately needed um, because I just needed someone to empathize with me and go, it is very hard, isn't it? And it is very lonely. And you're completely conflicted for the entire time and you have no energy and you have no life and you cut yourself off. Uh, and all the, there's such familiar patterns for all carers. So um, I went to a party of Carers UK, met another carer, and he said all those things to me. And for the first time in uh, 10 years, I felt somebody understood what I'd gone through caring for Johnny. Somebody understood what I'd been through. So um, I ended up on their fundraising board, and then they asked if Johnny and I would be their patrons, because by that stage, we'd both been carers for each other. And it is really important. Carers UK does two things. It offers support for carers. You can become a member of Carers UK and they have an online forum where people go online and go, oh, does anyone know about this? How do I deal with this? Or my wife or my husband or my child has just, you know, I need some support with this. And they all support each other on this online uh, forum. But there were also call centres in four cities in the country and there were Monday to Friday during work hours. There were staff there who can help people with their emotional problems, with their, 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 you know, what am I entitled to problems, you know, financial problems. Problems are rife for people when they become carers. They may have to have their home completely adapted. So Carers UK will let you know what, what grants are out there or whatever else. They just help people through the minefield of their life being turned upside down, which can happen in one day. So I believe passionately in this because carers absolutely deserve support because they're sort of unsung heroes who selflessly give up their lives very often and they do need support and that's what Carers UK is there for. Yeah, please, please find out more about them after this interview. Uh, just type in Carers UK to any search engine and all the info you need will be flashing up on your screen. Um, I suppose that's one bit of wisdom, actually, isn't it? Find out about Carers UK if you're a carer. But what else, Tiggy, I'm going to ask you now about the, the wisdom from your challenge. What else do you think has really stuck with you through caring for Johnny? Well, I think you realise I learned pretty quickly that marriage is not all about the honeymoon. <laughs> um, uh, indeed, I didn't really get one. Um, <laughs> um, and marriage and love is about something so deep it's about you being a team together basically it's you don't know what life is going to throw at you but i think the beauty of marriage is that that you go through this with a soulmate and you and i sort of understood even though i found the caring for johnny very hard i I was so grateful that we were married because, for example, the hospitals take you seriously if you're a spouse. Or it certainly it may have changed in the last 12 years because things have got, you know, things have modernized a lot. But they told me things before they told Johnny. They asked me to tell him things before, you know, rather than then telling him. So that sort of deep, you were perceived as a, a team and you go through this together as a team. So... I actually think the bond that Johnny and I have got together is incredibly deep because what we have helped each other through. And that is an unbelievable feeling. Yeah, I, I was saying this to somebody at the weekend, actually, that the darkness deepens you. Yes, it does. 
You don't learn about your life, about love, about relationships until they're challenged. Mm. Uh, you know, it is without doubt the hard times in life that make us grow. And if the hard times in life don't make you grow, then you're probably left with a really big problem because you stay in the darkness. But if you can grab the learning from the dark side, my goodness me, is it is it a, a, a you know a shortcut to certain forms of wisdom? Well, it's interesting because just before I hooked us up on this interview today, I was listening to the radio and for some reason I paid attention to this song and the lyrics were something like, it's the first time I've heard it, but the lyrics, and they really stuck out to me and they're tying in with everything you said there. The lyrics are something like, if it doesn't hurt, if it doesn't change your mind, if it doesn't make you want to leave, it's not love. Mm, yes, great. Um, uh, it's, it's very true. Yeah. Although that's not to say you should stay in toxic relationships. We're just saying like you, if you can get the learning from that, that's where the love is. Well, yes, it's, and I mean, I, I don't know what your philosophy is. If you have a philosophy, which I've sort of adopted since knowing and meeting Johnny is this idea that we're spirits on a human journey. Yeah. And that each time we come to this earth, we're set challenges that we have to try and overcome. And if we do overcome them, we leave this life a wiser, more rounded spirit than when we came in. That's the challenge. And you succeed in some and you fail in others. And the ones you fail in, you're probably going to have to come back again and do it all over again <laughs> until you get those right. Yeah, no, I, I share that philosophy. And I also think that the stuff you learn in this experience, you take with you on the next experience. So... Um, even though you might have to come back and relive some of it, the things that you actually did achieve here, you take with you. You don't have to do that again. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And, and you, if you were to ask Johnny or myself, would you go through that experience again? We would both say of both our experiences, yes, we would. Wow. Because we learned so much and we, we, we deepened as human beings as a result. Hmm. Well, that's a profound bit of wisdom. I'm going to take that, Tiggy. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Before you disappear, though, I just want to ask you my last three questions, which are very quick and are just designed, really, so that we can get to know you just a little bit better. Uh, the first question is, which woman in history, myth, legend, present day, can't be a relative, though, uh, do you admire the most? Ah, uh, well... That's that's a really if if I can go for myth legend or whatever and no one will know her but she ties up with my book as well uh, and that is a character called Antonia and she is uh, the, the 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 protagonist in a book called Antonia by a writer called Naomi Jacob um, a book I was given by my father when I was sixteen years old I was going to Italy for the first time in my life I was travelling alone for the first time in my life to stay with I was being got out of the way basically while my parents moved house and went to Italy to stay with some people I didn't know. And I read this book, which is set in Italy, about an extraordinary Italian woman called Antonia, who was a peasant, she was a cook, and she ends up um, a dame of the British Empire and the two great loves of her life are English aristocrats. I loved her because she is a woman who has always done the right thing. She's always shown integrity. Uh, she always made selfless decisions and she used food to show her love to people. And I love it so much that I've uh, got the film rights. I've written the screenplay and I've got my first investor. Wow. So, so that is my, my her character 
is is uh, who I mean when people read this script they go but this is you but it's not me because she's far far greater than I am because she's she's fictional but although I do believe she was based on somebody um and uh yes that is my life passion actually is Antonia that's what I believe I'm on this earth to do so I haven't done what I've come to do yet that's what I'm here to do that book might set for me by my father who we buried on Friday and his last question in life was to me going, have you had any good, have you had any news on Antonia? It was all he cared about. Oh my goodness, Tiggy, that's incredible. I know, so he's now in, I said, Pate, you know, I've got, um, I've got somebody who wants to invest in it. It, keep the faith. It's gonna happen, but I need your help in heaven. So he's just gone up there on Friday. So, um, <laughs> so yes, that is my book, Antonia by Naomi Jacob, out of print. Nobody knows it. My parents' generation used to read Naomi Jacobs. She's completely old-fashioned and out of, you know, she's not today's vogue of writing, but it's a story of such an amazing woman that Antonia is absolutely my inspiring woman. Goodness me. Okay, well, best of luck with that project, Tiggy. I've got a feeling it's absolutely going to happen. Um, all right, next, you've opened up a whole load of other questions in my head now, but I must stick to this because we've got a limited time together. Um, the next question, though, is what book have you gifted the most? Well, it will be Antonia. Apart from my own book, Unplanned Journey, which I've gifted, if anyone gets in touch with me about a friend who's about to go through can- breast cancer, you know, they say, could you send a copy? And I do, but I've run out now. I've only got one copy left. <laughs> you've run out, Tiggy, but I assume there are other places that people can get this. The very best place to get Unplanned Journey is via the Carers UK website. Not only is it £5 cheaper, but every penny of that book goes to Carers UK. And if they sell it, it means that they get every penny of the profit. Okay, so if you want to buy Tiggy's book, The Unplanned Journey, please go to the Carers UK website and buy it from there. As Tiggy said, it's cheaper and um, they will keep the profits, which is so, so important. Okay, and last question, Tiggy, is about music, actually. Uh, what song sums up your challenge? What what do you put on the on your music player and it just brings back all those memories of the challenges that you went through when you were caring for Johnny? Um, well, I think it's a very interesting thing because Johnny is a music man and we don't necessarily share the same taste. I think music is a very personal private thing actually because i think if you are in a a mindset and you want to be supported in that mindset or lifted out of that mindset it's very individual what you listen to uh so i will hide away on my own a piece of music that i have turned to for decades when i i suppose i want to feel carried away and a bit uplifted at the end because great music for me does lift you up at the end it's keith jarrett who was a jazz pianist playing um at cologne they call the cologne concerts it's from 1975 for heaven's sake but it's an amazing piece of jazz piano um and it's just called cold part one's part two abc it's just that's what it is so keith jarrett for me well, I love, I love the way you say it carries you away. And that's really the emotion it, that it gives you, is it? That you can go to another place. 
Yes, and funnily enough, when I write, because I am, I've been writing the Antonio screenplay, and I've, I'm just finishing a second novel at the moment, not published yet, but my agent is working on that. And I listen to music quite often when I write, and I find it affects my mood. So it's, if I listen to something really depressing, I start writing in a really, really miserable way. And if I listen to something that sort of uplifts me, I, when I write, I do want to have lightness and humour in there, but hiding the depth, as it were. Well, Tiggy, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed speaking to you today. Thank you so much for sharing so honestly. And please keep me in touch with Antonia. I'm going to send all my best intentions your way, and um, I just know that that's going to happen. Thank you. That's very kind of you, Joe. And it's amazing what the power of a group thought can do, isn't it? It really is. Let's get everybody listening to this podcast behind that thought as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Love Thanks, Tiggy. You're so welcome. Great questions. Bye-bye. I'm Joe Wise, and you've been listening to Wise Women, the podcast. You can follow Wise Women on Instagram, Facebook, and the website www.wisewomen.org.uk. Remember, wise is spelt with a Y. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I look forward to you joining me next time for another Wise Women episode.